Hey guys, I hope you're doing great today and I can't wait to bring you the show. But before I do, I just wanna make a quick request. If you're listening to the show and you're getting good value and you're enjoying the content and you feel that it's valuable, if you could just take a second and go and give me a rating and review in whatever platform you listen, whether it be Apple or Google or uh, Spotify, whatever it is, just go and give me a rating and review, that would be very appreciated. All right guys, let's dive in. You know, it's super, I'm assuming you're not a millennial because you're naming them millennials. You have a bunch of millennials. It's super easy and sort of in fashion for, you know, Gen Xers and, and older folks to kind of make fun of or look down on or criticize millennials for their work ethic. And while sometimes that's warranted for sure, sometimes millennials have a different expectation or opinion of what the workplace is. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. Thank you for joining me on Just Start Real Estate. I am super excited to be here with you. Very excited to be bringing you another Q&A from our Wednesday night Q&As that we do every single week on my Facebook page, Just Start Real Estate. You can check it out on Facebook. You can join us live and ask questions live and get them answered live and have some back and forth. I know sometimes questions require a follow-up question. I totally get that. And I am there for you every Wednesday. You can just log on. It's totally free. You can ask me questions. You can ask or ask follow-up questions, and I will answer them for you right there every single week. This week, we had some really good questions. Uh, a wholesaler wrote in, actually wrote the question and said uh, that they are really struggling trying to get houses under contract. They're doing everything they can. They're really trying to solve problems and they're really trying to make that connection with the seller, but it's just not happening. And so we had that discussion. Uh, we had another person ask about uh, hiring and working with millennials. Uh, they were complaining that they have a bunch of millennials that are not working and they're sort of lazy. And so we talked about that a little bit and I gave some thoughts there and what my uh, opinions are of working with that generation. And then uh, we had a, a question about someone who is a construction worker and they have uh, saved up some money and uh, about 100K and they wanted to know how to go about building their rental portfolio. What was my suggestion? What did I think they should do and how can they get that done? And so I gave those suggestions and a ton more questions, guys, just other stuff. It was a really, really fun episode and I think you guys are gonna enjoy it. So without any further ado, I give you my Thursday Q&A. Okay, we are live. Thank you for joining me again today. I appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate you guys. This is awesome. As you know, we're here on Wednesdays starting at 7 p.m. Eastern time and 4 p.m. Pacific. Uh, so make sure that you're here on Wednesdays. Ask your questions. It's the only chance really that I, it's the only thing at time I ever answer questions live like this. And uh, just for whoever logs on and whatever you want to ask is totally cool. Um, otherwise, it's a little tougher. You email me stuff. I usually wait and answer those emails right here live. 
uh, because I really would rather have you guys on with me and have that interaction. Uh, but I do get emails. I get stuff all the time and uh, and I try to answer them as much as I can. Uh, but a lot of them I do pull into here so that everyone can benefit, right? Because you don't know what you don't know. And sometimes you don't even know what questions to ask. And so I know that it can be very helpful if you get questions that you wouldn't even have thought of and they get answered for you right here. So that is what we do every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. And you can go to, uh, if you're listening to this after the fact, uh, you can go to Just Start Real Estate on Facebook. And that's where we do this. And I'd love to see you there. Okay, let's dive into today's questions. Um, there are a lot of them and I have not had a chance to really look at them. Uh, so let's see here. Uh, first one. I am a wholesaler and I know it's important to listen to a seller's problems and try to solve them, but I'm having difficulty closing deals. I'm not sure what else to do really. Uh, I'm not sure what else to do really make a connection so people have confidence in me. Um, let me read that last sentence again. I'm not sure what else to do to really make a connection. I got you. Okay. Um, you're not closing deals. My guess is one of two things. Either you're not really, really listening with empathy and love and, and trying to help someone first that you're preoccupied with closing the sale. Now, I, I, that's not necessarily fair to say that's what it is. I'm saying that's, that could be what it is. Um, but if you're failing to close a sale, it's for one of two reasons. You're not doing a great job in front of the seller. In other words, you're not able to put the sale and the money you might make behind, you know, in the background and just focus 100% on them and really, 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 truly uh, try to care. I, I was listening to uh, Andy McFarland speak last weekend at Flip Hacking Live. He was one of the speakers. And I'm going to paraphrase, but basically he said, um, like tactics, sales tactics without like, caring or love or compassion, like tactics without compassion will always fail. And so take, take a really like honest look when you get into the home or you're talking to the seller, how much is your brain thinking and trying to calculate how badly you want that sale versus putting that aside, putting it on the back burner and just thinking purely, I want to help this person. I want to help them. Even if I don't get a sale, I want to still see if I can help them. And so that could be part of it. The other reason, which I'm suspecting is probably the, the more likely reason based on the fact that you said, you know, you understand how important it is to listen to others' problems, try to solve them. And you're trying to make a connection and get confidence because you're so concerned with that. I, I, I would think you're probably doing, um, you know, the compassion and the helping that side of it. It sounds like you might have it. The other reason though, why they might not uh, be selling or why you might not be getting these contracts is they're just not motivated enough. Their, their problems aren't big enough. Their problems aren't urgent enough and they just don't have enough motivation. You know, they're, they're kicking tires. They're thinking about selling. You know, if you gave them a really great price, a retail price, you know, maybe they would sell, but they don't really have to sell. Like that's probably why. And I, I think a lot of investors get hung up trying to convince sellers who are not super motivated that they should sell to them. And it's almost always going to be a losing proposition. So, and even if you do get the contract and you're talking to someone who's not super motivated, the chances are that you're going, your contracts are going to be too high. You're just going to, you're going to purchase them at a price that doesn't make sense and that you can't really monetize 
at a sustainable level. So my guess and my suggestion would be both guess and a suggestion was the guess is you're not talking to motivate sellers. My sex suggestion is start making sure that the folks that you're talking to, like going out and talking to physically driving to sitting at their home or having uh, some sort of an online conversation with, make sure that they're motivated before you spend tons and tons of time trying to buy their house because you sound concerned. You sound like someone who really wants to buy someone's house, but, in, but help them in the process and, and make that connection and really solve problems. So if that's not happening and you care, or you sincerely are, are, are empathizing and you sincerely are sitting down with the attention of helping somebody and it's not, it's not happening still, it's probably because they're not motivated. You're not talking to true motivated sellers because truly motivated sellers have problems and issues and challenges that are so big that they really have to do something. And it's just a matter of you showing them that you're the solution to buy their house. It really is the the key. And so I'm, I'm guessing that's the, um, that's the part of it that's maybe not happening. Okay. Uh, next question. I have a bunch of millennials working for me doing administrative tasks, but having a hard time getting them to really but having a hard time getting them to really get them to buckle down and focus on their work suggestions. You know, it's super, I'm assuming you're not a millennial because you're naming them millennials. You have a bunch of millennials. Um, it's super easy and sort of in fashion for, you know, Gen Xers and, and older folks to kind of, you know, make fun of or look down on or criticize millennials Um for their work ethic. And while sometimes that's warranted for sure, sometimes millennials have a different expectation or opinion of what the workplace is. I think it starts with clear expectations. Make sure that you're giving them clear expectations. And really that boils down to day one, talk to them about what it is before day one, like before you even hire them, give them a day in the life of what their job is. And make sure that you understand, they understand what you expect as deliverables and what that looks like to you as, as their boss. But I will say you cannot manage a millennial the way you manage a Gen X person, for example. You just can't. You can't. I mean, at a, at a high level, you want to treat all your employees well. You want to like inspire them and you really want to lead by example and all that. Like you, that all is the same, right? There are certain aspects of leading anybody that is going to be um, consistent and common throughout whatever age group you're talking about. But millennials view a job and they view the workday a little differently than folks who are older than them. And that's not really good or bad. It's just different. And it may seem bad to you if you're from a generation that views it a certain way and they view it a certain way, but you really need, I think millennials more than anything, if I could just, and I, I don't really want to put them into one bucket because I know there's various different, you know, attitudes and, and the way they think it's not, you can't just call them the group as one kind of a thing. But I think if there's something that differentiates millennials from other age groups, it's that they want to work someplace where they feel appreciated, where they feel like the work they're doing matters. Um, and I think all generations want this, right? 
but a lot of older generations view work as a necessary evil. You just do it. And of course, you're going to hate your boss. And of course, you're going to hate the company. And of course, you're going to hate your pay. And of course, you're going to hate this. And you're, you're expected that you're going to hate everything sometimes as an older generation. It's sort of that old cliche, right? Everybody hates their boss. Everybody hates their job. But millennials truly expect to like their boss. And I think they truly expect to like where they work. And they, they believe that they are entitled to a workplace that makes them feel fulfilled. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it is a thing. And, you know, there's such a thing as just someone who's lazy. And so if you've hired a bunch of people who are just, just lazy, like they literally don't want to work, hey, you just got to get somebody in there who does want to work. Um, but I don't think that's always on the person. I, I, look at, I look at leadership and people who work for you, like whatever goes right and wrong, it's sort of your fault as the leader. Either your expectations were not great, you didn't set them up properly, you hired people with the wrong values. I, that's a big thing that I really missed when I started hiring was paying attention and trying to discover the person's values. Are their values in line with the company values or um, my values? Because my, really my values kind of bleed into the company and, and sort of become part of the company's values too. And so one of my values and one of the values in, in the companies that I work for, or I should say work for, that I own or part of um, is extreme ownership. It's the value of taking ownership for everything that goes on in or around you or in the company. And so when I started hiring at first, when I was growing my company and started hiring, we were going through people fast, millennials, Gen Xers, Gen Y, like we were just going through whoever came in, they almost always went out within three to six months. And we were really turning through people fast. And in the beginning, it was like, wow, these people are lazy. These people don't get it. These people don't have any drive. And it was always something that we put onto them that was wrong with them until it just kept going. No matter who we brought in, no matter how great they looked when they came in, we sort of chewed them up and spit them out on the other side until my partner and I really had to look at ourselves and each other and say, this, is, this might be us. Like This may not just be everybody else. It's very possible that we are the problem as the owners. And when we started looking at it that way and saying, what can we do as, as leaders of this company? What should we do to make sure that we're not losing people at a rate that, that is just mind-blowing like we are right now? And what we did was we started paying attention to our company culture. And I know when people say company culture, a lot of people tune out and they just gloss over and they think company culture is not a thing. It doesn't matter. I'm here to tell you it does matter. It makes a big difference. It doesn't matter if you have a small company and you're only a handful or maybe just one or two employees. It really, really matters because if you think back into your life, if you've ever worked a W-2 job, if you've ever worked for somebody and had maybe even multiple jobs, there were likely jobs that you enjoyed going into and you enjoyed the people you worked with and you enjoy the person that you worked for. And there were jobs where you just thought everyone that you worked with and for was a moron and the company was crappy. And so it is possible that if you have workers who are not getting the job done, they're not taking it seriously, it's possible that they don't have the values that you want in the company, integrity, hard work, Const, you know, continuous improvement, um, extreme ownership, 
some of these different things that a lot of people have as, as values, or it could be that you're doing a bad job as a leader. You're just not leading them. You're not showing them or uh, laying out an expectation that they can achieve. Maybe they feel like they're overwhelmed and can't do it anyway. And what you consider to be a little bit lazy or they're not buckling down, as you say, it could be to them that they're at capacity. And so you have to talk about um, what it, what's, what's realistic for them to get done. My guess is that you're probably right. They're probably not buckling down. They're taking it too light. And so at the end of the day, it's extreme ownership doesn't mean it's always you so you can never fire anybody. It just means um, it's, it's either the way you're leading them, you're doing a bad job, or you did a bad job when you hired them. You hired the wrong person and you have to take ownership of that. And if that's the case and they are the wrong person for the job, you're really doing yourself and your company for sure a disservice, but you're also doing them a disservice. If they're in the wrong position in your company, or maybe they're in the wrong company, just not a company that's really suited for them and their skills, um, you need to let them go. You're doing them a disservice, keeping them there and keeping them from whatever it is that would be, you know, allow them to fulfill the potential, their potential. Um, so you gotta, you gotta make changes if changes are necessary. But just understand first, first, take a look inside, take a look at yourself and make sure it's not you. It could be you. I, I, I had the same thing. It was me. And if it's not you, and if it's really just, you know, you've done everything, you've offered them, every, you extended every courtesy, you've extended every opportunity for them to, to get clear on what the goals are and what the expectations are and what the job entails and what the workday should look like. And you've done all that and you've kind of, you know, maybe they're having some sort of a personal problem at home. Now, you're making it sound like all the millennials that work for you are not buckling down. My guess is they're not all having personal problems, but maybe there's even a ringleader. Maybe there's somebody among them that is the chief lazy person. And they're sort of like making others feel like it's okay for them to be that way. So sometimes it's a matter of getting a bad apple out of the bunch too. Okay. You don't necessarily have to fire everybody who, you know, was born uh, before, you know, uh, whatever, 1990 or uh, after 1980, you don't have to, to get rid of everybody who fits in that millennial classification. Maybe there's just one bad apple in there that's kind of spoiling it for the bunch and kind of causing the problem. So um, that would be my suggestion. But look inward first. Honestly, a lot of times when, if you said you have one bad person, like one bad apple in the group, that's a different conversation than saying, I have a bunch of millennials working for me and you can't get them to focus, right? A bunch means it's it's not usually likely or usually the case that everyone else is the problem and you're awesome. I would look at what you're doing first. How are you? How did you train them? How do you manage them? How do you inspire them? How how well did you give them their their expectations? All that stuff I talked about, right? So look inside first. Then see if maybe one of them is your real problem. Maybe that one person is sort of spoiling the bunch. And if that's not the case, maybe you just did a bad job when you hired them and you have to move on and, and move on to somebody else. So uh, millennials aren't, aren't, aren't necessarily a problem, right? Millennials now are in their 30s, a lot of them. So, you know, this, this is, you know, this is fast becoming the country. So it isn't necessarily that it's, it's them, could be you, but you can't put them all in one bucket. Just like if, if I'm a Gen X, if, if someone said, oh, all Gen X are this, like that's, that's a bummer. It may not be me. Maybe 
other people my age, but it might not be me. So just be careful about classifying everybody in one bucket and saying they're all bad. Like, I don't want you to never hire a millennial again because you think millennials are lazy. That's not necessarily the case. They just, they definitely have a different expectation of the workday in a lot of cases, but um, not all of them. So I have, I have a millennial working for me that works his butt off. So, <clears throat> okay. Next one, I am 30 years old working in the construction field, have about 100K saved up, and I'm looking to buy my first rental property. Where do I even start? How can I educate myself properly to be in the position uh, to buy something? I live in California and open to investing in another state. This sounds like a question we've already had. And because my memory is horrible, I can't remember if we've had this exact question and we've duplicated it, but I'll answer it again. If or, or I'll, I'll answer it. And if I'm answering it again, some of you may not have heard it. So 30 years old, 100K saved up. You're in the construction field. You want to buy a rental. Um, how do you educate yourself to become in a position to buy something? So in California, you know, the 100K is not going to go as far. If it were me, I would highly recommend that or I'm recommending to you, even if it's you, that that 100K becomes your down payment, obviously, because in California anyway, you're not going to buy a $100,000 rental, probably. It's just not going to happen in most places. So that 100K becomes a down payment for you. Um, as far as getting educated, I mean, there's a lot of ways you can do it. Um, I offer a program called the Find and Fund, Pro, Find and Fund Blueprint. Uh, I'm happy to, to talk to you if you want to get involved in that program. Uh, it is... Um, it's going to be starting pretty soon. So you can hop in and become a part of that. And, and I can kind of help you through that myself. Um, otherwise, I would get online, go to Bigger Pockets, for example. There's a lot of great resources there for free. Um, there's paid masterminds, um, a little bit more expensive, but definitely, definitely helpful and can, can help guide you. Um, called the Seven Figure Flipping Runway Program. Uh, that's a great program for new investors who want to learn how to build their business and learn how to do it the right way and kind of cut through all the mess and, and figure it out. It's not inexpensive, but it's certainly worth it. Um, but there's a lot of online resources for sure. I, I think that 100K is best used for sure as a down payment. And honestly, if I'm in California, I don't know where in California you are, but for example, if you're in San Diego, where house prices are you know pretty high or San Francisco, where they're super high, it might make sense to either go a few hours outside of the city or outside of that super expensive area. I know there are areas of California that are a little more reasonable. I would go there or go somewhere else in the country where they're very, very reasonable. A lot of, you know, a lot of states in the Midwest have super, super good rental markets. And that 100K would probably buy you 10 houses because you would only need about 10K for the down payment. And, you know, the rest could be financed um, through a bank or a mortgage company or even a hard money lender temporarily. And you could probably buy 10 houses with that 100K and then just rinse and repeat, right? Do the Burr method, buy them, renovate them, get them rented, refinance out and repeat, right? So you could build your portfolio really, really fast using the Burr method. Uh, and 100K would go so much farther in other states other than California, uh, but I get it. Some people want their rentals in their backyard where they can drive to them and see them easily. I totally get that. Uh, but it's just not going to go as far. You might only get two or three rentals with 100K with you know using that 100K as a down payment. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. You can still use the Burr method. You can still build your portfolio. But if you want to build it faster and have you know a little bit less money into each house, 
then then the Midwest is a great way to do that. And there's also a, a website called Roofstock. That's R-O-O-F-S-T-O-C-K.com, Roofstock.com. You can go on there and there is a marketplace for landlords, for rentals. You can buy or sell a rental there. And these rentals have been pre-inspected. Um, uh, the rents have been verified. And I believe they offer a rent guarantee for like the first year or something so that you don't buy a house and then all of a sudden it goes empty and you don't have rent for a while. So they'll guarantee that rent for a while. So you can go to Roofstock and check it out and kind of browse different cities and they rank you know, the crime and all this stuff in the different cities. So it's a pretty cool place to go and buy rentals if that's what you're interested in and you want to buy them out of state. And these are turnkey, by the way. These are not rentals that you'd have to put work into. They're, they're already rented or they're rent ready. So all they all you have to do is either get them rented or just take over the payments and and you're the new landlord and you're uh, receiving payments. So it's a pretty cool service and something that I would consider uh, checking out if rentals are what you want. Okay, <clears throat> next question. I am 30 years old. Oh, that's the same one as asked. Next question. I have heard from I have heard of other investors using. 203k FHA loan to finance their deals. Can you explain what that is and what and any restrictions that puts on properties you're working on to rehab it? Um, so it's a mortgage rehab, rehabilitation loan, right? It, it gives you some of the money. Uh, it's a government loan that can be used uh, to fund. Um, uh, both the purchase and the renovation uh, in one single mortgage. Uh, the lender will require that any safety or health hazards be addressed first, like mold and broken windows and things like that, lead-based paint, missing handrails, stuff like that. And the contractor has to be licensed and typically um, be like a full-time contractor. They can't be a part-time person. Um, yeah, so you can't use like your buddy or somebody you know to do the work. You have to use a fully licensed and insured uh, contractors. Uh, a lot of times you cannot do the work yourself. They really want it done by someone who's licensed and insured. Um, but I think that's really it. It just, you know, the, when you talk to your bank or your mortgage company, they can maybe dial in any specifics, but that's really it. They're really concerned that you're handling all safety issues. They won't lend you money for the rehab if you're not going to address safety issues. And the work has to be done by a licensed professional. That's really it. I think they're great for people who are starting out, especially if you're going to like house hack where you buy the house, renovate it while you're there, and then turn around and sell it or rent it to somebody else. <clears throat> it can be a great way to go. I'm not super, super knowledgeable about 203Ks. I just, I know what they are. And I know that there's a couple of major like high level stipulations regarding safety issues have to be addressed and all the work has to be done by licensed contractors. And they're going to want to see the bid and they're going to want to make sure that the work is done before, you know, they give you draws on the work, <clears throat> just like any other lender would. So um, definitely reach out to your mortgage person or your bank and see if there's any other specifics, but that's, that's usually it. Um, it's not, it, they're, they're not really that, that stringent of a loan. It's just, there's certain things that they care about and they just want to make sure the work's done right. So definitely check that out. Um, so this is going to be a relatively short uh, episode or short Q&A because 
that is all the questions that we have for right now. So hopefully you guys got something out of that. Uh, thanks for sending in your questions. Continue to send them in and I will continue to answer them. If you want to log on live, I, I replay this on my on my podcast. So you can check it out my podcast, which is Just Start Real Estate on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. I am there. We play, we replay this on Thursdays. So you can check out the replay if you ever miss it on Wednesdays. Or you could just show up on Wednesdays at 7 o'clock Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, and ask your questions. But guys, keep sending them in. I love it. I will keep answering them. And until next time, guys, go out there and just get started. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. Remember, I do these Q&As live on Facebook on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I hope you enjoyed this. Tune in next week for another installment of live Q&As answering your questions. Okay. Until next time.